0: over the next couple of weeks, as we get back into the book of Galatians, we're going to be talking about some abstract concepts. And to illustrate what I mean by an abstract concept, if you've got a a pen or a pencil on your bulletin or piece of paper, a little exercise here, draw, just quickly draw a sketch of a chair on your bulletin. Go ahead. And as soon as you are done with your sketch of that chair, right next to it, I want you to draw a picture of logic. That's an abstract concept, okay? We could take your pictures downtown after church and show people who weren't here, and most people would know you were drawing a chair when you were drawing a chair. But no one would guess whatever you, if you even took a stab at drawing logic, and I'm sure most of us didn't, they wouldn't be able to tell what that is because it's abstract. An abstract concept is, is, a, is an idea that we can understand somewhat, but it has no physical form, and it makes it more difficult to define, to grasp. And a lot of us prefer the concrete, the tangible to the abstract. You ever say something like, for me, I'm a very black and white person, right? We, we, some of us like to think that we prefer the tangible, the concrete. But listen, all the best stuff in life is abstract. The stuff you're actually pursuing is abstract. The the desires underneath your desires are all abstract because they are love. They are belonging. They are joy, peace, contentment. These things you can't really draw a picture of. You're not even sure what would make you get there, but that's what you're chasing. The most important stuff in life is abstract. Even the, stuff you're, the most important stuff you're trying to avoid is abstract. It's not actually the snake you're trying to avoid. It's the fear the snake causes. Fear, isolation, longing. Those are the things we're trying to avoid and they're, they're abstract. Well, where we're at in the book of Galatians, Paul's ready to get practical. This book's been a a passionate defense of the gospel by Paul. It is Paul saying the way to be justified by God, um, declared okay, righteous by God, is just by receiving this free gift he gives those who believe in Jesus Christ. He's been defending that. And it's been theological, up to this point, but now Paul is ready to get practical. But we probably shouldn't be surprised that when Paul's ready to get practical, even Paul's practicality is somewhat abstract. Because if Paul's been clear about anything thus far in the book of Galatians, is that one thing we've been set free from is the law. The, the way Christianity does not work is kind of... The, the way we sometimes wish it would. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what I'm supposed to not do. I'll, I'll do the do's. I'll avoid the not do's. Maybe I'll be good enough that God will be okay with me. And Paul has been very clear. That's not how this works. But shouldn't my life look different as a Christian than life looks for a non-Christian? Yeah. Shouldn't my life look different now than it looked? Like practically different. Things I can point at. Shouldn't it be different now than it was before I decided to follow Jesus? Like we sang a minute ago. Shouldn't it be different? Yes. Shouldn't it continue to change? Shouldn't I still be growing into his likeness? Yes. But the rest of this book, what Paul's going to be teaching us is how it should be different. How we should be changing. But what Paul calls that, if I were to sum up in one word from Galatians and what Paul calls our Christian life, what it should be, it's freedom. That's what Paul has said. Chapter 5, verse 1, the whole purpose God set you free was for freedom. Today, he's going to say again, you've been called into freedom. That's what the Christian life is. But freedom is an abstract concept. And it is often misunderstood. And it is constantly abused because it's misunderstood. So we're going to take a whole week or or a whole sermon for just one verse so that we can talk about what Christian freedom is, what it is not. Paul's going to tell us uh, something we are not set free for and what we are set free for. I think it's impossible to understand what our Christian life should look like if we don't understand what Paul means by this. Freedom. So let's read our whole passage today. It fit in the box on the front of your bulletin. This is the whole thing. Galatians 5.13, Paul writes, For you were called freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love Serve one another. That's our whole passage. Maybe my main goal in this sermon is to answer this question, what is freedom? Because again, I don't think we can understand what the Christian life is, at least Paul's rendition of it, if we don't understand what is Christian freedom. And I think the most helpful thing to do in trying to answer that question is first, get rid of a bad definition of of freedom that I'll bet most of us in here are walking around thinking freedom is. By and large, I think most people here in the West, right, in America, in Western civilization, there's few things we hold more dear than personal freedom, individual rights. It's like our dearest among our dearest uh, foundational ideas. But most of us, I think, define freedom something like this. Freedom is my right to do whatever I want to do. I want you to know that's not freedom. I can do whatever I want to do. Hey, this is a free country. I can do blank. You can't tell me I can't do blank because I'm free. That's not freedom. In fact, that is a ridiculous and an impossible definition for freedom. If that's your idea of of freedom, I want you to know you are chasing a mirage. You'll never reach. And not only will you never reach it, it's going to make you miserable trying. That's the first thing I want to convince you of this morning. This is true, like, politically in society. It's true in our relationships. It's true inside of your own heart. Easiest way to see this is sort of politically. In a a free society, I don't care how free a society is, that cannot be the definition of freedom because we can't do whatever we want. That won't make our society free. In fact, and we know this, most of the stuff that we've fought about in the history of our country is because we have a terrible definition of what freedom is. It's one person's idea of freedom fighting against another person's idea of freedom. This person enjoys the freedom to own automatic weapons. Can I get an amen? Okay. This other person wants the freedom from the fear that comes from knowing that I own an automatic weapon. And we fight about that. This person wants uh, his public school well-funded. This person hates the idea that his taxes go to fund the public school. And so we fight about that. And we could do this all day. Uh, A century ago, Supreme Court Justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes, he summed this argument up this way. He said, one person's right to swing his fist ends where another's nose begins, right? I am completely free to stand here and swing my fist around. I might look like an idiot, but I am free to do so. However, the closer I get to another person, right? Eventually... My right to swing my fist is going to come face to face with John's freedom to not get punched in the nose. So you might say, well, there's the, there's how, that's how you tell, Matt. That's how you tell is you're free to do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt someone else. Well, that solves our problem, only no, it doesn't because we have no ability to solve that problem either. I go right back to our same, who is to tell who is getting hurt? Hurt. Am I being hurt by the fear that someone else owns automatic weapons? Some would say yes, some would say no, and we're right back where we started. But this isn't merely a political problem. If I'm chasing uh, the idea that freedom, and we know deep inside we were born to be free, it's true. We just don't know what it is. But if I'm chasing this idea, I'm not free until I can do whatever I want. That's not just a political problem. So it starts when we're young, right? We can't wait to get out of our parents' house so nobody can tell me to do so I what to do so I can do whatever I want, right? Because then I'll be free. All right. Now you adopt that. And you want to be free to do whatever you want. So Let's say you want to be free to get married and have a family someday. And you marry someone who are both chasing that idea, freedom. I'm only free when I can do whatever I want. That, my friend, is not a recipe for a happy marriage. You will not be free in that marriage. You will be miserable in that marriage and you will both be convinced the other person is the one making you miserable because if it wasn't for them, I would be free. You want to be free to have whatever kind of job, pursue whatever kind of career you want. You're going to be able to pursue that definition of freedom when you go to work? Good luck with that. That's not freedom. It's not. And it's not just true in society. It's not just true in our relationships. It's not just true in our workplace. It's true in your own heart. If you could be so isolated that you really feel like you could do whatever you want and no one else would get hurt, you still won't be free because there's nothing more enslaving than your own desires. Tim Keller said something one time, something like this. He said, we wind up enslaved because we do whatever we desire and we think that's freedom. We wind up enslaved because we do whatever we want and call it freedom. A woman named Becky Pippert, Rebecca Pippert, Wrote this, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves, we are controlled by the Lord of our lives. You are going to have a controlling desire. Do you know that? And whatever desire, everyone's flesh, more on that word later, everyone's flesh has a controlling desire. And the other decisions you make in your life will be controlled by that one chief desire. That's the Lord of your life that's the one that's really in control. I'll give you some examples. Let's say your controlling desire is you just want to have fun. The main priority of your life is having fun. That becomes a controlling desire of your life. It will compete with other desires that have to bow down to that one. Like, like, I don't want to be broke. I don't want to go into debt, but man, I got to have fun. And so before long, I will make, bad decisions in other areas of my life to serve this one. I don't want to let my parents down. I don't want to let my wife down. I don't want to let my kids down, but this other thing is so fun. Or maybe your controlling desire something like this, the security that comes with having enough money. If I just get to the point where I have enough, I'll feel secure Will that control some of the other decisions you make in your life? Yes, in fact, you might miss out on real fun, real joy. Right, I, how, many, how many of you raised your kids, got older, and looked back with regret at how much time you didn't spend because of the money you were trying to make? I don't wanna sing the Cats in the Cradle song to you up here this morning. We could do this all day too. Maybe your kids' achievement in whatever they're, you know, and their in, in their FFA, in their sports, in their academics, in their whatever it is, that is the controlling desire of your life right now. You may look back later and think, man, I was making decisions that actually were bad for the long term interests and health of my kids because we were controlled by their achievement. See, the truth is, you will have something that lords over your life. So you better choose wisely. Real freedom comes from finding the right Lord. Jesus Christ wants to be your Lord. I know he's a friend of sinners, right? Right? Um, but he wants to be your Lord. A few weeks ago, we looked at his, his invitation to be his disciple in general. He said, uh, he said take my yoke upon you. That, that's, a, that's a picture of, to, to, to get yourself yoked to Jesus, you have to give your will to him. That doesn't sound like freedom, does it? It doesn't. I can tell you for a good chunk of my life, it's why I stayed away from the church. It's why I stayed away from Christianity because I wanted no part of yoking myself to Jesus because I wanted to be free. But I wasn't. I was enslaved to my own desires, to my desires. Real freedom comes from being, becoming who God created you to be, and doing what God created you to do. Real freedom is in that. In the same way, like we feel like that's not true. I can get more outside of that. But it's like a fish saying, I, I'm tired of being in this water, right? How come deer get to run around in the mountains? I wish I want to be free to do that, but that's not what a fish was created to be. There's not freedom out there for a fish. But real freedom comes from choosing Jesus Christ as Lord. Because when Jesus, when we are yoked to Jesus, when his priorities begin to come become my priorities, his, his ideas become my ideas as best I can, the way he loves, the way he thinks, I get freedom from enmity with God. I get peace with God. I get freedom from hopelessness, I get freedom from a life without joy. I get freedom from having an identity be shaped by other people's opinions. See all those the the really good stuff of life, those abstract ideas. Here's the thing about being yoked to Jesus. He gives you those things for free that we try to chase and get outside of him. That that never works. When I believe that Jesus, when I believe in Jesus and God justifies me, which means he sees me as perfectly righteous already, and I'm guaranteed everything for all of eternity, suddenly I have a living hope that the world cannot get at, no matter what it throws at me. It's locked away back here. But nothing can get at it. And that's where I get my joy. My needs for acceptance come from the one whose opinion actually matters, who completely accepts me. I'm not enslaved to anyone's verdict of who I am because in Christianity, we've already got the verdict of who we are. God, the gavel has dropped and I have been declared perfect. That's freedom. Freedom. So we're called to freedom, but because Paul knows, we, don't, we won't understand what that really means, he's going to tell us something we're not set free for and something we are set free for, and that's how he's going to help define this. So we'll move on one clause in our verse. So you are called to freedom, brethren, only. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Really? Really? Or actually, that's, Paul just said what I've been describing. Because any time I think I can be more from my efforts than for, by resting in Christ and being under his lordship, I'm just living in my flesh no matter what I'm doing. Um, throughout the book of Galatians, Paul's used this word that gets translated flesh. Uh, the Greek word sounds like "sarks," right there. It's always translated as, as flesh till we get to this verse and then some of our translations do, uh, I hate to criticize people who know way more about Greek than me but they, for some reason they take this Greek word sarx and put the word sin nature in there. And that's not a great translation because that's not what this word means. Your flesh, my flesh, It's just that part of you that wants to be self-directed, self-led, autonomous. Or your flesh is you using what you've got to get what you want. That's your flesh. And when I live in my flesh, I want to get what I want. And I want this false definition of freedom where I call the shots. I'm autonomous. Because secretly we know from the garden what we want to be is like God. And he's the only one who's autonomous, right? We think we can handle that. And that's what we want. Now, when I live there, will my flesh desire some things that are immoral? Yes, because my flesh is broken. So part of what Paul says is, You've been set free, but you haven't been set free to just live in your flesh and pursue just immoral stuff. But the flesh doesn't only pursue immoral things. There's a lot of stuff that looks really good that's been accomplished by the flesh. I don't know who built the house you live in, so don't take this personally if I talk bad about him here. (laughs) But let's say the person who built your house was not a Christian, was not a believer. The only thing they had was his flesh. Maybe his controlling desire, he wanted to get ahead in life. He got into construction and he worked really hard to make enough money so he could be satisfied and have all, get chase the American dream completely in his flesh and as a part of that he built your house. And you know what? It's good. I love my house. For the largest chunk of this book, when Paul has been talking about the flesh, he hasn't been talking about licentiousness where I do whatever I want to do and you can't tell me I can sin whatever sins I want to sin. They make me happy. Paul is telling us here, don't live like that. It ain't going to end well. It's not freedom. But Paul's been talking about the law. Paul's been talking about legalism, the idea that in my effort, I can be more. I can get, you know what I want? I want God to accept me. It's a good, it's a good desire. I want to be better. I want to be more. But a lot A lot of our best efforts at morality are still solidly me in my flesh, self-willed, self-disciplined, self-directed for me to get what I want. Yeah, we'll do that. This is why the flesh manifests itself in two things that seem very opposite, but they're both flesh. Licentiousness, where I abuse God's grace. Hey, he's got to forgive me anyway, so I've been set free to sin whatever sins I want to sin. That is licentiousness. It is flesh. Paul says, don't use your freedom to go back into living life in the flesh. There's not freedom there. But the flesh also manifests itself in legalism where I can be more. I can do this. I can deserve to have a good relationship with God based on my best efforts. Paul also says you've died to the law. Don't do that either. They're both different manifestations of the same thing, my flesh, that just says I can do this and get what I want. And we are called to something that's completely different than either of those. Real freedom is found off of that spectrum. And we're going to be talking about what that looks like as we move forward. And there's, Paul just gives us one part of it today. One opposite of living life in the flesh, whether it be licentiousness or legalism the end of our verse, Paul says, For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But, instead, here's the opposite of living in the flesh. Through love, serve one another. Notice what Paul does not say is the opposite of living in the flesh. We might think Paul would say, or Paul is saying, you've been set free, but don't you go back to sinning those immoral sins Or God will be up in heaven, shaking his finger at you, disapproving of you, holding his nose when he looks at you, right? Instead, be really moral. Now, I'm not saying being moral is bad. Hear me correctly. I'm just telling you that's not what Paul is is saying, because that will push us right back into the flesh, life under the law that we've been set free from. The opposite of living a life in the flesh is not, this is what we want. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to avoid. And I'll try really hard to do those. Paul says there's slavery down that path. The opposite of a life in the flesh is through love. Serve one another. Now Paul's starting to define what real freedom is. It's not you get to pursue whatever you want to pursue, what your wants and desires are, no matter if they're good or bad. That's slavery no matter what. It's bondage. The opposite is love and serve others. Isn't it interesting? Do you see a a paradox here? How many of you, if you were going to define freedom, would have the word serve in your definition of freedom? That doesn't seem right, does it? How can freedom be found in loving and serving others? Well, one, like I said a minute ago, real freedom is found in being who God designed you to be. In doing what God designed designed you to do which will look like Jesus. And Paul told us Galatians two twenty that, that God is the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? When? When I didn't deserve it, when I was at my worst, I still don't deserve it. And all my efforts to make myself better is like taking a bucket of mud and trying to make it less dirty. And if God loved me and gave himself for me, and he's making me like Jesus, guess what I'll start to do? (laughs) I'll find someone else who does not deserve love. And I'll love them. I will pour myself out for someone else. Why? Because that's what my Lord did. If he's the Lord of my life, that's what I will begin to do. Why? Because it makes me righteous? No. That ended the moment I believed. And when I live in my flesh, it doesn't matter if it's licentiously or legalistically, I won't love and serve others. If I am in my flesh licentiously, which means I am, uh, I'm driven by these desires that leads me to, to chase that bad definition of freedom through immoral things that make me feel good. I will not love you if I'm, if I'm tied up in that. I may exploit you. I may do some things that the world may call love with you or to you, but I'll be using you to make myself feel good right? That's not real love. Or the things that are real love, that are actually selfish, I won't want to do those things because they impinge on my freedom, that bad definition of freedom. I don't have time to love and serve you. We wouldn't say it this way, but it's true because I'm so busy loving and serving me. But the legalistic side isn't that much different. If what I really want, I'm in my flesh legalistically trying to climb that ladder so that God accepts me, so that other people think I'm a good person, and so finally I can convince my heart I'm good, I'm righteous, I've arrived. Then I read through the law, I find some things God says should be done, and I may start doing stuff that looks like love toward others but I'm doing the same thing I was doing over there. I am using you to try to get what I want. I want my heart to stop convicting me for how terrible I am. So I'm going to go do something nice for you. But it ain't really for you. It's for me. And I hope other people see it because I also want them to think I'm a good person. And I sure hope God sees it because I'm trying to earn this declaration from him but it's selfish at its core. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free to actually love and actually serve others. It makes me more like the one I'm yoked to. But it gives me even the opportunity to love you when I don't get anything out of it. Because when I, accept Christ, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I got this declaration from God, I was declared to be righteous with Jesus' righteousness. Right? I cannot improve on it. I can't improve on infinite righteousness. So now, if I go do something to serve you, I'm not hoping God notices so he thinks I'm righteous. He already thinks I'm righteous. And, and his opinion is the one that matters, and I've got it. And so now I'm set free to actually love you when I get nothing in return. I'm set free from whether you notice and your opinion is improved or God notices his opinion can't be improved. It's not even my opinion of me that I'm trying to improve. I already bear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm getting my acceptance needs, my love needs, my purpose needs, all those good things we're actually chasing. I get from him. I've already got them, So now I can love you. And you know what I get out of it? Nothing. And it's great. And then you know what I'll find? I actually get something out of it. You know what I get? It's like freedom. It encourages me like, oh my goodness, that felt awesome. You know why it feels awesome? Because you were made to be free. You just didn't know what it was. You were made to be free from all those things you were trying to use to get that declaration in your own heart, to get that declaration for everybody else that you're finally good enough. You finally worthy to be accepted, or or you were chasing fun, enjoyment, but you tried so many things that just led to pain and heartache. You're free from all that stuff. You're yoked to Jesus. He sets you free to love somebody else, and you find this is actually awesome. It's frustrating at times. It's hard, but it's exciting. And it comes with all that stuff I was chasing through other ways. Real freedom is not me doing whatever I want. That turns into slavery every time. You are a lousy Lord of your own life. Do you know that? So am I. Like I am, I promise you my wife is really glad I'm not God right? The rest of us are super glad you're not God, okay? When we say it like this, it sounds silly, but who, who do you think is more capable of directing your life, you or the God of the universe? Don't answer too quickly. Why do we live like that's not true? Don't we feel like, well, yeah, I know, but I can get a bit more this other way. Real freedom is not me being able to do whatever I want. That's actually slavery. Christ is the only Lord that will set me free from my flesh, licentiousness, legalism, the whole thing. The truly free person has made the decision to, what Paul will say, crucify the flesh. Put it to death. That's not how I make my decisions anymore. Freedom is not found there. And I think you have to start. If you want to live this way, I think you have to start right here. You have to declare this. You have to understand this. You have to believe this. It starts right here. Here, I am righteous. Okay, there, I said it. I'm righteous. Now, it's not because my behavior is righteous. I'm righteous because God said I'm righteous. And I choose to believe him. I already have that declaration. Once I have that. I can stop comparing myself to the law or comparing myself to others to see how I'm doing. Once I have that, I don't have to, I no longer have to pretend either this, either that sin doesn't matter. He's got to forgive me anyway. I can stop pretending that's true. And listen, you know that's true. Well, he's going to forgive me anyway, so it really won't matter. You know that's false. It hurts. It kills. There's consequences. When I start with my, my identity is in Christ and I am righteous in him, I can stop pretending my sin really doesn't matter. But I can also stop pretending I haven't sinned. I can stop pretending that it matters too much that it's kicked me out of this position of righteousness. It no longer has that power. Your Savior put it to death on a cross a long time ago. So I can be honest about my sin in my relationships to others and to God. Because you know, another reason why we don't love and serve others when we're in our flesh is because when I'm stuck in that comparative righteousness, I need there to be people worse than me I do. At least I'm not like. That's why we spend so much of our time talking about how terrible that, what, that those other people are. Because it feels better to feel better. See, if God operated like that, none of us would be, He wouldn't have come for us, right? That's the person I should love and serve best I can. You were called to freedom. What does that mean to you? Is it just you want to be free from making any more mistakes? That's a pretty selfish pursuit. Because at the end of that, I just, I'm still trying to convince myself and others that I'm perfect, good enough, whatever. Does freedom mean to you that I can do whatever I want? Stop it. It's not going anywhere good. You have been set free by the one who wants to be the Lord of your life, but who gives freedom in under his lordship. He sets you free to, to walk with him, to love and serve others. Don't settle for any other kind of counterfeit false freedom. Yoke yourself to the one who will give you the real thing. Let's pray. Our Father, um, we come to you this morning. We all have a flesh within us that that has its own tendencies, its own controlling desires. We each have a flesh that... Uh, that tries to be in control in different ways, some more licentiously, some more legalistically. And God, this morning, um, through this time and through the communion time, I pray you would be working in our hearts to help us recognize the way our flesh tries to operate and to begin to just lay that down to you to be yoked to you, to actually trust and believe that real freedom is found under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we already have your verdict before you are done collecting evidence. We have your verdict. We've been declared not guilty, completely righteous. Help us walk in that with Jesus. And we know what it looks like, loving and serving others who don't deserve it and can't pay us back. That's the only way we can actually be like you. You didn't didn't need what you endured, but you loved and served us. As we gather around your table, Lord, we... We remember the price that was paid to set us free. Thank you for the cross and uh, for the chance to remember, crucify our flesh, and remember that yours has paid the price to make our freedom possible. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.